What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I just hung up with Brendan. I just spent, I had a wonderful morning, spent two hours with Brendan Schaub, who I love catching up with. I hate it when it's over. It felt like 20 minutes. Turns out it's two hours. Go check that out over on Brendan's page. But, man, we touched on everything. And I really like to get Brendan's perspective on the heavyweights, because he was one. And I like to get his perspective on boxing, because he knows more and follows boxing closer than any MMA competitor that I personally know. And I know some pretty big boxing fans. I mean, he used to work at Showtime. You understand these things. See, Brennan. So, right, when you're talking about the heavyweights right now, of course Francis is going to come up. Of course his new deal with the PFL. And above everything, the fact that his PFL does not even kick in until 2024. And we don't know when. We don't know what month of 2024. We just know, hey, don't bother him this year. He's trying to do some boxing. He's focusing on boxing. Doesn't have a fight. Doesn't have a contract. But that's what he's in the gym preparing for because he thinks he's going to get one. Okay. Okay, good enough. But I wanted to know from Brendan, what are you hearing? Who's out there? And I said, Brendan, where would the money be at in boxing? Like, for example, I get a text today from a buddy in Canada named Joseph. Joseph tells me, that Spence and Crawford, right? Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford have agreed to box. And the night that they've agreed to box is the same night as a UFC pay-per-view. And he asks me, will the UFC change their date? Are they going to pull out of the competition that night because of this massive boxing fight? And I'm going, nobody cares about Spence and Crawford, but that's what I'm thinking, right? I don't need to hear from you where you, you got a bag on me. I, who the hell's talking about Spence and Crawford? Talk about these guys have finally agreed to fight. Who was asking them to fight? I mean, like that's the fight to do. That's a good fight. These are two tough guys. To the point that the UFC is going to back down. The UFC's gone head-to-head with Fury. They've gone head-to-head with Klitschko. I'm just suggesting for you, or rather I'm admitting for you, that I don't fully have my thumb on top of boxing. I don't. I wish I did. It's my second favorite sport. I wish that I did. So I go to Brendan. So who's out there for Francis? We've heard some of the numbers thrown at him, right? We now know for sure Francis is a multimillionaire. He got a $2 million signing bonus from the PFL. Do you guys know how that works, by the way? You sign, they send the wire. It takes about 24 hours for a wire to come. You sign, they send the wire. Within 24 hours, you open your bank account, you're, you're a millionaire. I took an NFL, I took a college kid to lunch at Applebee's. It was right across from... The old team quest gym I used to train at. He came in to watch a training session. I just met, took him across the street to Applebee's. It was $12 meal. I covered the meal. He thanked me so much. Oh, he didn't know what he was going to eat that day. He was so grateful. And he's telling me how he just signed. He just signed. I don't don't even know what this means. This is a young kid. Like, I'm picking up the bill either way. I'm 40 years old. This guy's 21. Like, that's the way it goes, right? If you're 21, you come out with me. You're you're not reaching for a check. The next morning, he had $2.2 million. (laughs) He was thanking me and said, I want to take you to lunch. 2.8. 2.8 million signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Cool story. But we now know this about Francis. We've wondered, can he sit? We wondered, how does he sit? We've never heard of a wife. We've never heard of kids. We don't know of a drug problem or a gambling debt. I mean, he's one of these guys where his finances do matter. He was able to say no to 8 million versus John Jones. So able to say no to that. He was able to work for an entire year 
or go an entire year without work. Now he's doing another year unless he gets this boxing net without work. But we now know his bank accounts, okay, he's got $2 million in him. We know that. Plus whatever he, whatever else he has, he's got $2 million from the PFL on the last seven days. But when we're trying to guess what his moves are, we've also got to guess and, and understand what his situation is. It sounds like he's flush right now. So who is out there that is worth waiting for? What opportunity possibly exists? And I'm very curious with Francis, guys. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I'm not a prude on taking risks. I bought Bitcoin before you guys knew what a Bitcoin was, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I bought Tesla back when you guys were laughing at Elon Musk and thought he was a PayPal guy, right? So I, I'm not against risks. I don't like that one. I don't like a guy that's at least 36 years old. He, he doesn't look a day under 53, but they're saying he's 36 years old, and then he's got a knee injury, right? Your only commodity is your performance. Your performance is coming from your body, and that body is broken. That body needs surgery. And now we're going to take that body into a sport that we've never done before. And then we're going to bounce back to a sport that it appears we don't want to do anymore. It's not my kind of bet. It's just not. I would have taken the $8 million. Now, it's a little different. I understand cryptocurrencies. I understand investing. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just $8 million can go a long way if you know what to do with it. If you don't and you're just stacking bricks, it's a situation they got to look at a little more careful. And I asked Brendan about this. Brendan said, Shale, he's out of his mind. <laughs> and Brendan really liked him. Brendan said, man, I really enjoy Francis. I know him personally. He's just such a nice guy. He said, but from the business side of this, there's nothing there for the UFC to get. He had one match against John. And it's the same problem they got with John. You can't, John and Sergi isn't going to draw. So the same thing with Francis. Francis versus John works. Francis versus whoever is next, it, it doesn't work. I understand that. And more specifically on boxing, okay? He told me that Fury's not going to happen. Fury was never going to happen. The way Fury looked at that is he was doing Francis a favor. He was being helpful. He was getting his name out there. He was getting Francis' name. Fury never meant to make a promise and or a commitment. He was out there doing media. He was hyping and he was serving Francis as he did it. That's how Fury looks at it. That sounds right to me. It, it does appear that Fury didn't give his word or make a bond or even shake hands. He said, I'm willing to do something. Let's come up with some rules and get some guys together that want to hire us and, and do it. Okay. You then had some Deontay Wilder news, right? Deontay Wilder, you realize that he's in trouble, right? Deontay had a gun. You guys know about that? That was because of me. You, did you guys read this on TMZ? I call out Deontay Wilder, which I didn't want to fight Deontay Wilder. I was just, I was, I was. I was I called out something. I didn't call him out. He thought I did. He went and started packing a gun because he's worried with me. He gets pulled over somewhere and doesn't have a permit for the gun. Right? He's in some kind of heat. Did you read this on TMZ though? I mean, I gotta tell you, I was pretty flattered. I don't really want him in heat. He seems like a good guy that was trying to protect himself, but he had to he had to go get a burner to protect himself because I might come up and smack him around a little bit. I you know, it's weird, in my opinion. But that guy were is gonna go in there with Francis Ngano? I don't think so. That doesn't sound right. So, and that's also what Brendan said. He said, no, Wilder looks like he's going to be fighting Joshua. Joshua dismissed Francis, laughed at it, and actually called it a clown show. He said, no, I'm not going to go do that clown show. Let the circus do that. 
So it looks like he removed himself. Now, guys can say stuff and change their mind, right? Everybody's got a right to, to play their hand however they want. And sometimes saying no is because you really want it. I understand all of those things. But Brennan laid the table for where we're at right now. And the reason I keep poking my nose in Francis's business, the reason I just, I can't stop doing it. But I don't know what's going to happen. I'm curious. I guess that would put me in the category of fan. I want to see what's next. I want to see how this whole thing unfolds and envelops. If you've seen so much as a boxing movie, any time between now and 1975, you would fully understand there's not a boxing promoter in the world that's going to bring somebody in on a one-off. Now, we all know that about MMA. Dana White will sign nobody to a one-off. James Tony, which came in one night only, wasn't signed to a one-off. CM Punk was not signed to a one-off. I realize he had more I'm sharing with you. That's not how you do it. No promoter would do that. If you come in and you win, I gotta have you. I have to have you back. I have to have you tomorrow still in the organization so that I can punish you and discipline you and strip you. But I gotta have the power over you or I can't even do that. You're not going to get up and walk out. I will kick your ass out. But I got you got to, I got to have you under contract to do that. And that's all that I'm sharing is Francis, at at least 36 years old, coming off of an injury on the only commodity he has, which is his body. Nobody. I mean, I, Al Heyman. You go back to Guzman. I don't even know how much he's doing. You go to Don King, which I think he's thrown out of the business. You go to uh, crusty old Bob Arum. You go to the very handsome Eddie Hearn. I'll tell you what. They're not letting you do a one-off because every promoter asks himself the same question. What if? What if he wins? What if he gets the upset? What if Lesnar goes over? What if? That's the question. Every promoter will ask himself that. And if you bring in Francis to beat up a meaningful guy and he succeeds, he lands that punch. Turns out he's good at boxing, whatever the case could be. What if that happens? Well, then I get him again. And Francis would be of the same mind. He wants to box so badly, not because he likes getting punched or likes punching people. He thinks that's where the money's at. But he wants to do that so badly, of course he would be willing to sign a multi-fight opportunity to do that. But that isn't the situation he's in. He's going to go do a boxing match. He then has to leave boxing and go and do MMA. Do you guys see the irony here? Francis sat out and held out to get a contract that allows him to box, but that contract is the only thing stopping him from being able to box. Because understanding this, I, I know I operate on a different wavelength. I, I, I try to bring myself down. I really do. I try, I try to bring it down so that everybody can understand what I'm saying here. Francis wanted to box, so we got that put in his contract. The contract that is allowing him to box is what is stopping every boxing promoter from signing. Is this on? Can you hear me? Is this thing on? All right, Jesse on fire, right? Rename him, Jesse is fire. I can tell you, he sent me this. And he, he sent me this two days ago with this prediction. I wanna read to you a quote from Dana White. Dana White says, we can all talk all we want. Tyson can talk. John Jones can talk. I can talk. We can all talk. How about we do it? If Tyson is serious, talking about Tyson Fury, 
and he wants to do this. Listen, I got Floyd Mayweather to fight Conor McGregor. And we're the ones that paid Floyd. We got Floyd the number he wanted. If Tyson Fury is serious and he wants to fight John Jones in the UFC, let's start talking. Now, Jesse just sent me this because the prediction he made a couple of goes was, was true. When Fury and Jones started talking, Jesse predicted, hey, Dana's going to say yes to that. Okay? Now, I'll move Jesse out, and I'll share with you this. It was very disheartening when Dana said if he wants to fight him in the UFC, right? It was disheartening, and maybe I missed something, but Fury never said he wanted to fight him in the UFC. In fact, Fury did this by video. Many people transcribed it, but there was a video, and I saw it. And he was very clear to say, in the boxing ring, he said, I am the baddest man in the world in this. If you want to come over to this, and since you're the one running your mouth, and you're the one talking, then you're the one that can come and do this. So I don't really know where it came from when this got turned, and, and that if Fury wants to fight in the octagon to call that, he doesn't. And he said that. But what a brilliant move, right? I mean, I wish that it wouldn't have been like this. And I wish that response and quote I just read from Dana, I wish it just didn't say UFC. The exact quote that I just told you, but it didn't say UFC. Now, if Dana only wanted that in the UFC, he could bring that up at a later date. But for the talking heads, guys like me, for Jim Rome, for Levitar, for Sports Center, for Brendan Schaub, for Joe Rogan, for these kind of guys... Let us run with it a few times that the boss said yes. Let us run a few times before you come out and correct and go, okay, of course I meant you. I'm the president of the UFC. I thought you guys knew that, right? It would have been a real easy fix. Because Jesse wanted his credit for being right. right? He said he wanted his credit, wanted his pat on his back, and he's getting it. But I like those same pats. And I told you guys, nothing will make Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury go up and smoke faster than if Dana White says, are you sure that's what you want, guys? Or would you rather have Fury versus John Jones? The second that that becomes an option, you don't ever hear Francis's name again. And make no mistake, we're still in that spot. Make no mistake. Now, I realize that Tyson Fury and Francis, I realize that's up in smoke. And I think of Tyson, I think of the gypsy, I think of his father, as, as very honest guys whose handshake count. I don't know if Tyson went that far, though. Tyson came out and told the world he was going to fight Francis. He came out and told the world they were going to make up some rules and they were going to fight. Told Francis in front of the world to be the highest paycheck that Francis ever got in front of the largest audience. He told him all of these things. This is the level of commitment. And then he saw, he saw what Francis did. Francis went to war with his bosses. Francis sat out and held out. I mean, I'm just an outside observer, but it does appear that Francis did everything that he said he would do. It appears that Francis operated a very good faith. It does not appear to me that Tyson did. Now, I'm not calling out Tyson's integrity because that, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. I, I want to do that. But something did happen there. Tyson did lead Francis to believe they were going to do it. He did bring Francis to England and put him in the ring at his alleged retirement party in front of 93,000 people. All of those things did happen. And all of a sudden, you can't find Fury anywhere. So who are you going to get for Francis? Now, whoever that answer happens to be, guys, whoever that answer happens to be, 
Deontay, Joshua, whoever it happens to be. There's not a whole lot of people who are going to want to see it. The, the idea is going to fall pretty goddamn flat, but it, it, there's still people, right? There's You've got to have an audience. And, and by, by the way, anybody can sell a Volvo, right? The good guys move the... Or anybody can sell a Ferrari. The good guy can move the Volvo off the lot. So let's see how good the promoter is. And if that starts to catch on and that's hot, before bout agreements are signed. And make no mistake, that's how this will be done. Right, you will come out and advertise, hey, I've got this, you'll leak it, it'll be a rumor. DeSantis did it as early as today. Comes out and he, he advertises that he's going for president. But you do those things to see what the reaction is. And if it's not what you thought, you take it back, oh, that was just a rumor. If the reaction is what you think, then you go and sign it. So when they do this and it looks like it's real, Dana could easily step in and say, okay, you guys want this guy versus this guy. Would you rather have John Jones? Would you rather have the champ? Not the former champ. You'd rather have the champ. All of a sudden, you're just having a very different conversation. I don't predict for you that John Jones is going to go through and have that boxing match. I don't predict that for you. I'm attempting to prove the point of how quickly the rug can be pulled. And there's not a huge difference in Francis and John Jones. There's not. And people didn't know who was going to win that fight. The line over DraftKings moved twice. It started Francis and started to move towards John. I mean, I'm just saying that that's pretty equal, right? You've got interchangeable mediocrities that neither have boxed. That's the one thing that they haven't come. It's pretty equal. There's a significant difference in a former champion and the reigning champion. That's where the money's at. That's where the money was always at. So I only bring this to you because I want you to see what's going on. I want you to hear what's going on. I want you to know all of these different moving parts. All you can do is make a prediction. All, all that you can do is guess. But... We are told that Francis will not compete in MMA until 2024. And there was a number of things that needed to happen before that could happen. So it didn't feel like a, a rushed judgment that we could just change in the blink of an eye. Hey, you know what? On second thought, he's up, he's up on Saturday. There's not quite an infrastructure to meet the agreements within the contract. There's just not. There's not an African board, by the way, of which he'll be the chairman. There's not a big pay-per-view event and banner that he can headline. A few of those things still have to come. So we got a pretty good idea. It won't be MMA. We understand that. It might be boxing. Well, if it might be boxing, he's going to need an opponent. And we start to break a few of these guys down and take some of the rumors and some of the speculation and think about where it's going to go. Who do you think that opponent would be? And whoever you come up with. At the last minute, if Dana was to say, would you rather have John Jones? Without knowing any other pieces of that puzzle, your answer blindly would be yes. This episode sponsor, Game Time. The Game Time app is your one-stop shop for tickets to all your favorite live events, including last-minute tickets to the NBA Finals, NHL Playoffs, and there's still a whole lot of baseball left in this season. Guys, buying tickets should not be a stressful process. Using the Game Time app is a fast and easy way. All you gotta do is search for the event and there you're gonna find the best tickets available. You can even see the view from your seat in the app. Guys, that's pretty helpful. 
Forget the pressure of planning months in advance. Game Time has killer deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and their Game Time guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Gotta tell you, that's pretty generous of them. All right, guys, snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code CHAIL. That's going to get you $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CHAIL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Jemayev, guys, I, I teased you earlier. Teased you if you're following the channel. If not, scroll up a little bit. But we got to get to the bottom of this Jemayev business. It turns out, see, you want to know a character that I'm so interested in right now is Kamara Usman. And I'm staying out of his way. I got Kamara's number right here. Do you want to know who gets back to me as quick as anybody? Kamara Usman. I haven't reached out to him. Haven't asked him. I want to call him right now. I want to call him on speaker, put it to the microphone. I want you, I want you guys to hear it. But I'm respecting what I'm seeing from Kamara, which appears to be a resistance from media. Kamara Usman, when he dropped the strap and dropped the rematch for the strap to Leon Edwards, was confronted with a table that had everything on it, which includes immediate rematch, and it included retirement. That You could not be further apart. I'm never going to do it again from I'm going to dig deeper than I've ever dug and get back to the top of the mountain. You couldn't be further apart, and he had everything there. Boy, if he would have retired, oh boy, we'd have talked about him so fondly. He'd have gone to that Hall of Fame. Oh, oh, first ballot and fast. You think Khabib went in fast? You could expect the same for Kamar Usman. That's what a great career he had. So everything was on the table. And then he went very quiet. And what did the quietness tell you? Because you want to know what it told me? That he was content. Quietness told me he was content. He was at peace. He was, he was at peace with himself and with his career. And that leaned me towards he's going to walk. He's going to walk away. He's going to walk away with a standing ovation. This is, this is what I was leaning towards. He continues to stay quiet. He continues to keep his business to himself. Ali continues to support this and let this happen. They're staying radio quiet. And Dana lets a cat out of the bag. Dana said that Kamara Usman wants the Chemaya fight so badly that he has been down to the office to lobby for it. That he called and texted and FaceTimed, and he has finally now showed up on campus to lobby for this match. I would assume that means to speak to Mick, to speak to Sean, to find Hunter, to corner Dana, I would assume, and I respect all of those things, right? I hope he went to Craig and Lawrence and just rounded out his basis of executives. I really, I really do. I love that he did that. But guess what Dana said about it? And Dana liked the fight. He liked it a lot. But guess what Dana said? You see, because Dana speaks in a language, right? Where he's, he's giving you information without committing to something. He's giving you some clues without telling the whole story. So he has this language. And Dana said, I love the fight. I don't do catchweights. Okay, but then assume 
that Kamara Usman wants to do it at a catchweight. Am I right to assume that? I would think so. But it was Chemayev whose last fight was actually done at a catchweight, so the fact that he asked for it is possible. I don't think that's what's happening, but it's possible. And what incredible irony we would have. Could you imagine? Chemayev wanted to fight Usman so bad he was world champion. Usman knew I'm probably going to fight Chemayev someday. Whatever, and I'll see you when you get to me. Now it's Usman that's hunting Chemayev at a different weight, possibly a catch, that we would all know without even being told is your number one contender's mouth, right? If we put Chemayev versus Usman at 185 pounds, John Morgan can stand up and ask Dana, is this a number one contender's mouth? Or John Morgan could just go to his website and post the headline, this is the number one contender's mouth, right? Like we all know. And that would be incredible irony that these two guys that were going to fight for a championship are now fighting for a contendership for a championship at a different weight class. I mean, this is really fascinating stuff. Kamara Usman versus Israel Adesanya is not something Kamara Usman wants to do. That is for a deeper tie. That is for a nationalistic tie-in that, that is larger than anything we've ever seen in the sport, quite literally, quite literally, of any excuse that we have ever had. This is a teammate, this is a friend, this is an old training partner. Those, those are good things, man. That's awkward. That's awkward. And your friendship, that really means something. This is much deeper. Much, much deeper. And I don't think that we need to get in the way. But you see Dana's problem. Dana's problem is that Dana would agree with what I just said, which is, if Chemayev and Usman fight, they do it at 185, and it's a number one contenders match. Everybody's got to understand that. In most cases, that would be great news. You've got to understand that. And the only reason that Kamar Usman would be asking for a catch weight is because it would allow him to go back to 170 and not force him at 185 to go against his countrymen. And that's, that's big. That's big stuff. I think we understand that. I don't know what the workaround is. I don't know how we work around it. I don't know how much longer Adesanya plans to stay at 185. I think that will have to do with how quickly it takes Piera to get to the top of 205. But there's a problem for another day. Chemayev versus Kamara Usman tells us how hungry Kamara Usman still is. We believe Kamara is asking for a catch weight, which means he hasn't officially left 170, but he's considering it. And Kamara Usman, I don't know this, I'd have to look it up. But Kamara Usman's handle on Twitter is Usman85. Now, it might be like K underscore 85. It might even be 84. Do you know what that 84 stands for? That 85? 86? Do you know what it stands for, though, guys? Kilograms. It was the freestyle weight class that Kamara Usman competed at. Competed at 85 kilograms. I could have the number. I was 84. It's 86. You, you, you got it. Right now, it's currently 86. When I did it, it was 85. They actually moved it 2.2 pounds. Can you believe that? My point is this. That's who he was. That's who he was to the point that it was part of his identity. It was part of his identity to the fact that he made his social media handle and put it in there out of respect. A lot of wrestlers do that. But 84, 85, 86 kilograms, just so you understand, converts to 185 pounds. So it's a matter of Kamara Usman returning to the weight class that perhaps he never should have left.
but it's also a matter of Kamara Usman returning to a number one contendership in the very match that he wants at a weight class that he doesn't want to fight the current champion. He wants to be champion. It's good enough to be champion. But he doesn't want to bring down the champion. And it is for easily, easily, the greatest reason that we've ever had for two guys not wanting to fight. I don't want to mess with it. I don't think anybody does. At the same time, we need a remedy. So please tell me, if you were put in this position, what would your solution be? Duplessis talked about fighting Whitaker. And he says, I know it's not smart. He said, if I wanted to be smart, I'd have stayed in school. i take risks. I'm a warrior. This is the path I'm going down. All right. I, I like that, and I, and I appreciate it. And I, I got to tell you, and that's a really good fight. It's That's a really interesting fight. And I'm going to do my best to make you guys care because nobody else is going to. And this is the problem. And this is what this is what is misunderstood week after week, weight class after weight class, alleged contender after alleged contender. This is what's misunderstood, okay? And I wish I wish so badly because I think about these things, guys. I think, how can I say this different? I'm failing. I'm the professor. i'm I'm teaching this course, but I'm failing somewhere. So, I tweak it a little bit, or, or I rewatch it, and I take it down and know that, okay, let, let's say it this way instead. I just don't know how to get through. And here's what I'm talking about. Okay, I don't, this fight, I don't know what, I don't know why we're doing this. I don't agree with it, but I think there's another piece of information that I don't have. So that's why we're getting these guys busy. We're getting these guys tied up and busy. Because we have something else we want for Izzy. Oh, now see, <laughs> I didn't even mean to rhyme that. We're getting these guys busy because we got something else planned for Izzy. And Izzy seems to be the denominator that everybody's taking their eye off of. But all of a sudden, Chemayev's dance partner is now busy. And we find out that Paulo Costa, who's supposed to fight Chemayev and fight Island, we find out that Paulo Costa is going to fight a guy that called out Bo Nickel the same night that we find out about a new Australian television deal. That's going to kick off in August, and it's going to be headlined by Adesanya. The only meaningful character that is available is Chemayev. That's it. Now, I don't predict for you that it's going to be Chemayev versus Adesanya. As a matter of fact, I strongly predict for you it will not be Chemayev versus Adesanya. That'll be another piece. I think I know what's going to be next for Chemayev. What I'm suggesting for you, as far as what's going to be next for Izzy, is this is something that's being looked at. And when guys want to fight him, right... Nobody has done a better job in the history of this organization than Israel Adesanya at determining and steering his own career. Who his opponent's going to be and what's going to be next and roughly when that's going to take place has been completely at the behest of the champion. That's never happened before. Now, it isn't because Adesanya's got some special favoritism. We haven't had anybody who's tried to control it before. We haven't had anybody with a strategy for how to put forward their next opponent and how to build that within the audience. It's never been attempted. 
He's the one guy that attempts it with a strategy, a very clear strategy, and he goes out and gets his way. Now, guys, if you want to be the one to fight him, right, and I would have predicted for you and did that Duplessis will be the next one for Adesanya. I predicted that because I think history is the greatest trajectory to the future, and Adesanya has called out all of his last four opponents, five opponents. Last five opponents he's called out. He called out Duplessis. So I thought number six, if everything's in line, is going to be Duplessis, and then Duplessis ends up getting Whitaker. Now, he didn't want to fight Whitaker. This is what was offered for whatever reason. He's got to go fight him. Now, that's an awesome fight. Awesome. But if I don't come out and tell you that, and I'm only going to be able to do that by quoting Duplessis, it, it's Duplessis and I trying to get you to watch the fight. Robert Whitaker is going to tell nobody. I really like Robert Whitaker. He's going to tell nobody. And it's very important. W w Whitaker isn't seeing his own career. He's too close to it. He's got an inner circle that's telling him, oh, no, we got this thing handled. No, you don't. Robert Whitaker is the clearest number one contender in our sport who doesn't have a world title fight. It's the exact same spot that Colby Covington was just in, except Colby does have the world title fight. And as soon as the opportunity for a world title fight opened up, Colby got it. As soon as an opportunity opened up for Robert Whitaker, they gave it to Alex Piera. And he's got he's going to be able to stand back and see why. Because if you listen to a Duplessis interview, he's going to tell you that this is a number one contender's fight and he's going to get a fight for the championship if he gets through Whitaker. But Whitaker's going to tell you the exact same thing. Okay, so we have two guys that both want a job, right? Now, anywhere else in life, you're going to go in and you're going to have a job interview. And you're going to battle it out right there. For passion and for ideas. Who wants this the most? Why are you a better choice than them? Everywhere in the world, right now, all around us, as you sit and watch this, as I sit and make this, all around us, that principle is taking place. And people are in battles in the form of a job interview to get a position that they would like. And it's so important as to how you handle that. It is so important that you understand what the employer is looking for in the employee. If you were to change positions, what is it that you would be looking for for that person that you're going to elevate? And this would happen all the time. When Vince McMahon, who can control an outcome, thinks about who he's going to put the belt around. He will have them out to his house. They will sit out by the pool. This is Kevin Nash's story, in case you not recognize it. And they, they start talking about it. But Vince wasn't talking about, you put a boot on this guy, you put a one, two, three on this guy. He was talking about, hey, remember that crowd in Charlotte? And remember how you worked him up? And remember before we went to the Garden, how you worked those New York fans to get MSG? You were pulling people from Connecticut. I really like that. Hey, remember when we went out to Portland, but you had half the audience coming up from Seattle because of the stuff that you were doing with the Sonics? It's one of these things where that is what a promoter is going to be looking for. Very much. If you would like the job, this is your interview. How are you getting people interested? A big fight. Okay. Now, a good fight can just have two guys with certain skill sets that go out there and make it a lot of fun to watch. That's a good fight. You can't run a business on good fights.
You got to run a business on big fights. What makes a big fight? A good story. That's it. That's it. Pacquiao versus, May versus Mayweather made all sorts of money. That fight sucked. It was a big fight. It wasn't a good fight. It was a big fight. They made a ton of money. Why was it a big fight? Well, it took them 10 years to tell the story. They had everybody from Sugar Ray Leonard to Iron Mike Tyson come out saying, this is the one we want. We had Roy Jones Jr. saying, man, this is the fight. This is the one the industry needs. It was one of these things. It was a back and forth. You got a Southpaw. You got an Orthodox. You got the Freddie Roach tie-in. You got old man Mayweather stepping in because Roger's not feeling so well. It was a story, guys. I just told you. How many things did I just rattle off about that fight? I don't even remember when that fight was. I mean, I, re I really don't. I just told you a whole bunch of the who, what, when, why, and where about it. How, can you do that for a fight? Been world title fights all the time. Tell me the who, what, when, where, and why on Paul Buntella versus Andre Arlovsky. Tell me, go ahead. It was a world title fight. Tell me the who, what, when, where, and why. Forrest Griffin versus Rampage Jackson. Go ahead. It was a world title fight. Come on. Must have been a big deal. Randy Couture versus Chuck Liddell. Tell me the five W's. Right? Do you see the problem? So if you're looking at this fight for your number one contender, you're going to be looking at what these two guys applying for the job do. Do they make good fights or do they make big fights? Do I need a good fight or do I need a big fight? Do I want a good fight or do I want a big fight? You're going to ask yourself these questions. So I'm going to come to, I'm going to tell you about this match. It's a great match. It's a really great match. Duplessis is going to make you really interested in this match. Now, the biggest thing about this match is going to be the swerve that comes at the end. Whitaker wins. It's, it's, it's not the world's most compelling or, or competitive matchup, sadly. But that's where the story comes. Duplessis is everything you want to give the elevation to. Whitaker is not. He's not going to build a fight with Duplessis. He didn't build a fight with his last opponent, whoever that was. He didn't build a fight with his opponent before that, whoever that was. He's not going to build a fight with his next opponent. Is that the guy you want? Well, you got to ask yourself, do you want a good fight or do you want a big fight? Blahovich versus Piera. Guys, is there a greater fight you could think of? For either one of them. For either one of them, with the situation they're both in, which is they're both world champions that want to return to be world champions. Before they can do that, they have to get a shot, right? They got to get a world title shot. Is there a position you could think for either one of those guys? That's better. I mean, look, stylistically... Stylistically, with Jan Blahovic, who we know can go to the ground, right? We know both these guys can go to the ground. But he does his best work on his feet. Go ask Luke Rockhold, right? I mean, he does his best work. Polish power, that's a real thing. And power is the great equalizer. I don't think any of us will pretend that Blahovic is better skill-wise or experience-wise or combination-wise or tit-for-tat or footwork than Piero on his feet. Piero was the champion. Who's the champion kickboxer? On the feet, that's exactly what his game is. But boy, that power is a son of a gun. I had a teammate, Dan Henderson, two-time Olympian, but he did, he's one of the few wrestlers that went over to the sport, fell in love with his right hand, got away from his wrestling, but it worked. But it worked. Went on to fight for three UFC World Championships. Went on to fight for two World Championships in Pride. Oh, by the way, won both of those World Championships. It worked. Fought at three different weight classes, including against Big Noguera, including against Fedor Milenko at heavyweight. Oh, by the way, he won. Talking about Dan Henderson. Because he had power in his right hand. It was just this incredible equalizer. It really was. 
It is a game changer. It's a difference maker in boxing. But most of those powerful guys are not endurance guys. You can wear them down. There's kind of a blueprint. You got to deal with it, but there's, there's a blueprint. It's different in MMA. It really is. That four-ounce glove, it's different. It's not a matter of take it, of roll with it, of duck with it, of watch it, take a few more, and it starts to lose some steam. You take one of those, and you are done. The fight match is now over. And I only bring that to you because if you think of this as a stand-up battle, which is most likely what you're going to see, Blahowitz will probably try to double-cross that at some point, but he'll go back to it. How is Piera going to do? I mean, Anthony Smith weighed in on this and said Piera is not going to do great out of the gate, that he's not big enough. That power isn't going to translate. We could take those shots. Well, Piera's a pretty big guy. I don't know if that's accurate, but I also don't know that it's wrong. It's a pretty, pretty interesting analysis by Lionheart. And if you want to fight for a world championship, history says beat a world champion. History says... You beat a world champion, you fight for the world championship. They're both going to be in there with an opportunity to beat a world champion. And it's just one of these, these interesting and peculiar spots. And I read a Blahovitz interview earlier today. I loved it. I loved it. I used to give Blahovitz such a hard time because he didn't make himself interesting. He opens his mouth. It's interesting. Well, I, my, my guess is Blahovitz is a pretty cool guy. Like, there's, there's an expression, who would you like to go have a beer with? It doesn't mean you actually have to drink a beer. It just means, who would you like to go sit down? Who would you like to just go visit with? Go go and have a beer with the guy. You're probably going to take about an hour. Who do you want to go? I think you'd have a great time if you were with Blahovitz. Every time I hear him do something, I'm compelled to it. He seems interesting. He didn't deny any of the skills of Pierre that I just laid out for you. He just said that Polish power is a very real thing, right? He's going to bring this equalizer. Oh, okay, that sounds like enough to me. I don't know that I need to hear a whole lot more. Oh, and by the way... This is a co-main event, I think. It's a feature match. It's not a main event. That's the point I'm attempting to make. And it's three rounds. That's what it should be. I see that get jockeyed with, and I see that get messed with. It shouldn't ever. Leon and Nate should not have fought five rounds. Gilbert and Blahal should not have fought five rounds. You want to fight five rounds? Being a world title fighter, being a main event. That's it. And I like that this fight isn't. And I do think that it changes it. I really do. I think that we've seen what Blahovitz can do, particularly early. That's one of the things with the power. That's one of the things with the size. Yes, there's oftentimes a fatigue down the stretch. We're not going to have a stretch in this one. We're not going to have championship rounds. He's got to survive. Blahovitz has the ability to double cross. He has the ability to clinch. He has the ability to go out there and hit a double. And we've seen how heavy he is on top, and I'm just sharing with you. Not that he has to do that or even that he's going to do that. The fact that he can... The takedown is not the biggest problem to a striker. That is a misconception. That is your lion eyes telling you. The takedown is not the key to beating a striker. The threat of a takedown. The threat of a takedown is what lets the non-striker change elevation and pop back up. Dan Henderson never threw a single punch without offering the threat of a takedown. Uriah Faber is a master of this. I changed my entire stand-up game around watching Uriah Faber. All of it. Uriah Faber will change elevation before he throws a jab. He'll change elevation before he throws a cross. He'll change elevation before he throws an uppercut. He'll change elevation before he throws a hook. I started doing it. On everything. Change elevation. Boom, I was finding this uppercut. I never found it before. Guy's covered up. He's waiting. Boom, boom. Come right back in. 
I did this exactly Uriah's combination on Rampage. I just changed the elevation. I threw an uppercut through a hook, and neither one of them hurt Rampage. He told me, he said, man, you killed Papa Great, but he had to respect it. He had to respond to it, and he did, and it opened up. I was able to take him down. I just bring that to you because the threat is what's so important when you're taking on a guy like Piera. Piera did great against Adesanya, but Adesanya never offered him that threat. Piera outstruck Adesanya, included in the fight that Piera lost, the last one. But Piera offered a threat. He made Adesanya guess a couple of times. Is he going to take me down? Is he going to change elevation? Is he going to go for it? I'm just offering for you that it's a very big deal, and it's something that does favor Blahovitz. And as this fight gets closer and Blahovitz starts talking, and I think that Blahovitz is interesting, I encourage him, keep coming with it. Pierre is interesting too, man. He goes, he gets in the native garb. He's on a one wheel and he's kicking soccer balls and then shooting with bow and arrow. I mean, they're two really interesting guys. This has the ability to be a really interesting match just before we even get to the stylistic side of it. Not to mention which would come out, what could come out the backside, which is Jamal Hill's next opponent. It's possible. a 200,000 click challenge. Now, I would never, and I have never, Ash begged for viewers, never. And I'm not doing it now. I don't care. Don't do it or do do it. I'm just telling you the stakes, right? And I've been in this situation, by the way. I used to fight in Bodog. I got great memories. Bodog, oh, just wonderful memories. But they had an announcer. And the announcer was like a rock and roll star. Her name was Biff. B-I-F-F. And I can't remember if she had a last name. Biff. Had the look. You know, it's kind of heavy metal. She had the tattoos. Really nice person. But they put her as the announcer. And so you've got this rock and roll singer that's supposed to have a level of fame. And Bodog did MMA and they did gambling. And they also did rock and roll, whether you knew that or not. And so anyway, they thought there's a way to integrate it. And they bring Biff to the ring. And every time Biff would come to the ring, she would beg the audience to cheer. She, you could hear them get quieter. They were getting annoyed. She would come out and go, oh, come on. Is that all you got? I want to hear you. Come on, Vancouver. And it would like get quieter. It's just annoying. It, it was really annoying to beg for listeners. And you want to know when I was influenced on this, guys? The eighth grade. In the eighth grade, for me, is when they moved David Letterman head-to-head -head with Jay Leno. 11.30 versus 11.30. CBS versus NBC. And Letterman was telling people, you know, if you're here, don't change the channel. And he'd make jokes and he'd make it part of it. And CBS is coming and NBC's coming. And they went to Jay Leno and Jay Leno said, I'm not going to ask anybody to stay. I think that the people should go to whatever show's better. So I'm going to try to have a better show than Dave. But if I don't, I would understand why people went and watched his instead. And I always appreciated that. And I realize there's not a lot of sincerity there, right? Like Dave's got a PR gal that had him say one thing and Leno's got a PR person that had him say another thing. I get that. But I appreciate it and I took it with me. So when I tell you that I won't ask you for, I won't, but I'm having a beef right now. My partner, Ryan, and here's what it is. Ryan doesn't like, and he doesn't see how it fits for me to go and have a beef or a vendetta and use this platform to take it out on random folks. He said, look, I used to get it when you fought. Said you were great at doing it, Chill, but you'd also back it up. 
you go in there and you would give them an opportunity to answer for it, or you would prove why you had the right to say it, that you were right. The first, but you, but this is how this would culminate. It's called a receipt. It's how you give the receipt. It's how you pay off the audience who came along. He said, you don't have those now, and you're picking some pretty weird beefs. And it was specifically had to do with Andrew Huberman. And he just, Ryan just said, man, I, just, I don't get it. I don't really know what you guys are arguing about. He's not firing back. You got a one-way channel coming and you're picking things apart. He said, and you're, you're about to get sued. That's what he says to me. Well, Ryan's a smart guy, happens to be a doctor, so I listened to him. I said, but Ryan, somebody's got to come in and push back on some of these ideas. Like, these can just seep through. These can just get in, right? GNC, by example, any kind of food that you would ever consume, food or drink, in this country is regulated. That's not. It's called supplements. Supplements are not regulated. It's how so many athletes have been flagged because they have dirty supplements. That stuff isn't checked. And whatever goes on the package, it's not. It's buyer beware. There's many things in life that are buyer beware. When I tell you that food and drink has an administration that oversees, okay, great, but so do automobiles. Are you guys aware of this? They want you to buy automobiles from a dealership. That's how they keep business going. But they can't stop you from buying it from a private party. If you buy it from a dealership, and it's a lemon, a representative of the attorney general's office will meet you at that dealership tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. If you buy it from a neighbor and it's a lemon, it falls under something called buyer beware. So when I tell you that supplements aren't regular, I do feel somebody needs to call some of these things out. And we have an industry that's going to continue to move supplements. Like that's never going to end all of you have the same thing inside of me that I had when I was 12 years old and walked the, the rows of GNC on my birthday because my dad told me I'd get one thing of anything and I'm just looking at the guy with the best build. No matter how awful that protein powder tastes or how many scoops and gritty that creatine's going to be, whoever put the most handsome guy on the bottle is leaving getting my 20 bucks. But it doesn't mean that stuff's any more effective now than it was then. And believe me, I've tried everything on the outside chance that it would work. Nothing does. It's it's never worked. HMB was pretty good. HMB in conjunction with creatine would at a minimum bloat you. So then you would you would look the part. It would cramp you, and I know that have to, helped with actual strength, but it would do something where you would like that for summertime. Look, I'll give them that. They took HMB off the shelf. Now, when I bring up Huberman, okay, Huberman does have something in common with everybody else that's ever tried to sell you snake oil, which is they found a supplement, and that supplement they find never turned out to be right outside your front porch. That supplement never turned out to be on your back deck. That supplement never turned out to be with an eyesight. That supplement 100% of the time is the one that's really hard to pronounce. It's usually a flower. It's usually a weed of some kind. It's usually an extract from a juice, from a leaf on a tree in Eastern India that was discovered by Moses and lost along the way and translated by Joseph Smith himself and blessed by the almighty Jesus Christ, right? It's always something like that, always. And that's a red flag. It's just a red flag. And why, if you had something that grows somewhere, why didn't you tell that market, right? I mean, that's another thing, right? You, you got this thing that's growing on the corner of Eastern India that was discovered by Moses. They have televisions and radios and internet in Eastern India. Why, why don't you tell them that? 
Because you do the same thing to them. You tell them, no, it's only over here. It's only in New Hampshire. On this little old lady's property. And the little old lady's senile and she's got a guard dog. And the dog guard will bite. But if you can come in at the right time when the guard dog's sleeping, you can get just enough. It's just one of these things. They always go this way, right? It's like the people that want to believe in UFOs. Man, that stuff's really fun. But at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself why they only land in America and why they only take farmers and why they only get information by probing your butt. Like, at some point, you're going to go, this, what is going on here? Why is it always the same story? Now, I spoke to Huberman. Gentleman. Total gentleman. And you will not hear me. Have you ever heard me call him a con man? Not positive that I did, but I know I said con men because they're in this industry, and perhaps I called him that. I don't have that opinion anymore. You, you got to understand, for somebody that's being dishonest, they have to know. They have to know that what I'm telling you is not what reality is. That is not Huberman at all. Not at all. He firmly believes in some of these studies. So we had a very meaningful uh, back and forth. And, and just to really clarify things, I spoke to the representative for Huberman. It wasn't him himself, but he was willing to get on the phone. And I appreciated that. I respect it. Huberman is actually coming out to Portland, and we might go and do something together. But instead of challenging him in the aggressive manner that I have up until this point, I would have questions. There was a protocol that was conducted, that Huberman spoke to at great length, that had to do with the effects of sauna. And in this specific case, it was said that growth hormone could go up 16 times in one of the reports. Over the course of the study, it would diminish, but still settled in with four times growth hormone. This was just an example given. And... Instead of challenging it, I would like to ask some questions. I thought this was his study. If he's speaking on it, I assumed it would be his study, but I'm told that that's not how science works, that somebody else can do it, who you never meet or never question, but if it gets picked up and published by a respected journal, you then can go by it, and that doesn't seem right to me. I came from the sports world. You don't, you don't get to claim that you were the world's greatest. You don't get to do that. You either have the Olympic gold medal or you don't. I don't get to hear from somebody else who told somebody else that got you to write it down. That person's either got the Olympic gold medal or they don't get to call themselves the greatest. Now, when I hear that a study was done on X number of people at random and they were taken into a sauna for protocol four times in one day, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know how long the rest was. Two hours in total, four 30-minute sessions in a day. The next day's off. The next day, they're back in the box. Four times, the next day's off. The next day, they're back in the box. And it's a seven-day study, so I think you get in the box three or four times. I'm a wrestler. Is there anybody in your life, just so we can all make sure we agree on this, is there anybody in your life that you would associate with saunas more than wrestlers? Every wrestler you know has spent ample amount of time in saunas. Is that true? Every college in the country that has a wrestling program has a sauna within the locker rooms of the wrestling room. Do we all agree on this? Okay, great. So Chael as a wrestler would be pretty damn good and pretty experienced in sauna. Yes? Okay, great. The longest I've ever been in a sauna is 40 minutes. There is a claim within this study that X amount of people, they didn't say how many, taken at random, we don't quite know what random is, 
was put in the box for 30 minutes, four times in one day. The longest I have gone in my life is 40 minutes, and that was a hell of a push to do it. So I do question the study. I do question that that was done. I do question who you could go and get at random that he'd even be able to hold up. Now, let's assume that it happened. I'm sure your box is a lot colder than mine, which you would consider hot and what the wrestlers would consider. I'm sure we're having two different conversations, but you got somebody to go in there, and then you drew their levels, and their levels have skyrocketed, man. They're off the page. If that happened, I would not, as an observer, associate that with the heat. If I was associating things with heat, then everybody that went on vacation would have growth hormone that goes through the roof because people only vacation in warmer areas. What I would assume is that your levels were affected by dehydration. That would be a lot more reasonable for me. I don't have evidence of this. I'm just suggesting with you, if Huberman and I, and I got to tell you, he gained my respect. He did. He believed those studies. He believes what he's telling you. It's not a lie. I got, I got to take all that stuff back. It's not a lie. But I would think that there is a naiveness. You're hearing a lot of conversations right now, right? There's, there's another protocol that can quadruple your testosterone. You are hearing arguments right now about people who competed in sports as men and they're now competing as women. And the difference there is not fourfold in testosterone. It's two. To explain to you fourfold, Whatever my testosterone is, if it was four times what it is, I would be competitive with a horse. It is a ridiculously high amount. The Olympics are 12 months away. Here, I'll tell you a real literal statement. If you could take a random person and quadruple their testosterone, the Olympics are 12 months away, they would be a contender for the gold medal. I don't have to hear anything else. I don't have to hear how old they are, what the sport is. I don't have to hear anything else. It is that big of ramifications. So if you have something that can up, up growth hormones 16x, even if that dies down to four, anything that could up testosterone fourfold, I, I'm just sharing with you. I have taken endogenous growth hormone, the most expensive you can get, taken from a cadaver. I have done the same with testosterone, the finest that you can get. I have never doubled my test. I never doubled my growth. That's taking endogenous testing growth. So if there's a protocol out there that could do it, or if I wanted to see that, and I wanted to be surprised, and I wanted to challenge it, and I did challenge it, and I did get a little further than most. I did get to the fact that it wasn't conducted by him. In fact, we don't even know who conducted it. It got posted in a journal, and we know the people that do the journal, and it's respected. Well, we're having a very different conversation right now. We're having a very, very different conversation. And I've had Ryan, and I've had many of you push back in the comment section. Say, well, this is science. I've heard you say that. I, I know that you love that. I know that you do. Tell me a great coach that you've heard of. Vince Lombardi? Can we go with him? Mike Gitka? Can we go with him? Phil Jackson? Can we go with him? Because they're going to tell you what they did was a science. And they're not going to have the data and they're not going to have the charts, but they're going to have groups of people that they did for eras. And they're going to have how they prepared and trained them and the results that they ended up getting. And I think that's a meaningful observation as well, whether you want to agree with that or not. Now, Ryan says the beef's got to go. He says there's nothing here. So I made him a 200K bet. And I'll keep my word. This video 
gets viewed 200k. Not only will I be audited, it'll be audited in front of the world. You will all see it. Or we move on from Andrew Huber. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And guys, guess what? Uncle Chael is putting out some incredible videos over on Instagram. So make sure you're giving me a follow by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm off for the weekend, but I'll be back on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.